Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. At Victory, we value love in action through growing, connecting, serving, and giving. We work to show God's love and share His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. Here's this week's sermon by Pastor Terry Green. So what do these verses have in common? Exodus chapter 20, verse 5. Chapter 34, verse 14, Deuteronomy 4:24, 5:29, 6:15, Joshua 24:19, Ezekiel 39:25, Nahum 1:2. You probably already saw it because it popped up there and you were reading that instead of listening to me. What do they have in common? Each of these verses says that God is a jealous God, that God is a jealous God. Now, three of those verses, God calls himself a jealous God. And in five of those, the writers call, report, and record that God is a jealous God. Now, Oprah Winfrey says that she grew up believing in God and going to church, and and, uh, she was active in church. But according to her, when she learned that God was jealous, she decided that she just couldn't believe in, in God anymore. And unfortunately, she has influenced lots of other people to follow her own peculiar religion of self-discovery, self-help, and self-promotion. And lots of people buy into it. God's jealousy is not the same as when your kids are jealous of each other. God's jealousy is not like human jealousy. He never feels insecure or suspicious or selfish. He is all-knowing, omniscient. He is all-powerful, omnipotent. He is all-good. He is holy and right and truthful and appropriate. He doesn't have petty jealousies like people do. In fact, God is not jealous of others. God is jealous for people, specifically for his people. He doesn't want believers to settle for second best. He doesn't want us to get caught up in the things of this world. He wants us to worship him and love him and to be in awe of who he is and what he has done because he deserves it and because we need to do it. Not because he needs an ego boost, but we need to trust and follow him. He wants what is best for us and in us as we follow him. And he knows the hardships we will face if we don't follow him. He knows. Now, sometimes parents have lots of wisdom. And they see their young people, their kids, making decisions that are really unhealthy. Sometimes they see that, they recognize that, and they intervene in that. And sometimes kids listen to and learn from their parents. But God is a perfect father. He is the one who knows everything. He really knows. There were a few times when my dad and I very strongly disagreed about things. And years later, a couple times, I realized he was right. And a couple times, he realized I was right. Uh, But God is always right. 
And so in James chapter 1, we're reading, uh, in James chapter 4, sorry, we're going through the book of James, we're looking at different passages, and last week we ended in verse 4, where he says at the end of James chapter 4, verse 4, whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And then James continues writing, he said, or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealousy, jealously, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. So James said God is jealous, but again, it's not human jealousy. He says God is jealous for his people. God is jealous that we would follow the right thing because God has absolute perfect knowledge. He knows what's the right path and what's the not as good path and what's the really horrible, terrible path. He knows. And so when we follow God, we'll always be on the right path. It's, it's a daily thing, but it, if we follow him, then so God is jealous over us. God does not want us to worship false gods. And, and God hates the false gods in, in the Hindu faith in India as much as he hates, hates the false god in the worship of materialism here in America. God wants us to value him because he knows the benefit we receive when we do that and the hardships we face when we don't. So God says, he resists the proud, he gives grace to the humble, he wants us to follow him and to submit to God. That's what he wants us to do. And James is writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. So uh, I'm going to read a few more verses here. Therefore, verse 7, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you um, double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. By the way, have you ever heard some of those television preachers? Now, there's a few good ones on there. But some of them on there, they're all about making you feel good. And so what they, they want you to turn your mourning into laughter. They want you to just enjoy life and seek your best life now. That's not what the scripture teaches. Actually, James says, let your laughter be turned to mourning. Lament, mourn, and weep. And we'll explain a little more about that in just a minute. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Verse 11. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Heavenly Father, as we're looking at your word today, we thank you that you are jealous for us. We thank you that you care about us. We thank you that you give us instruction in your word, not only about how to be saved, but how to grow and mature and adjust our lives so that we can live in a way that would be for our benefit and for your glory. So we pray that we would listen and learn as your Holy Spirit speaks into our hearts this hour. 
In Jesus' name, amen. So we need to submit to God. Now, what does it mean to submit? To give in, give up your own will. What was that, Jeff? Give your what? Will. Give your will to someone else. Yeah, submit means you put yourself under the authority of another. And, and so you are submitting to them. And you know, Now, if you always agree, do you have to submit? No. I mean, if you always agree, there isn't submission. You're just in absolute agreement. But submitting is when you don't always agree. There, you have to submit. So, yes, you have a role that's submissive even when you agree. But the real act of submitting becomes difficult when you disagree. Like people in the military. When I was a sergeant in the military and I had a gunnery sergeant and I very strongly disagreed with him and he made the rule. When I was a business manager and I, we had a privately held company, we had an owner of the company and I argued very strenuously about what I thought was absolutely right and he was the owner and he said, no, we're not going to do that. So I had two choices, do it the way he said or quit. And so you're submitting under people. And so we are called to submit to God. Now, when you submit to another person, such as when the Bible talks about all of us submitting one to another in Ephesians uh, 5, and then he talks about wives submitting to husbands. Uh, when you're submitting to someone else on earth, you are submitting to an imperfect person, a person who knowingly has faults. How do we know that person has faults? Well, you can just watch them a little bit. But the Bible very clearly says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So everybody has struggled. So when you're submitting to another person on earth, it's not the same. When you're submitting to God, He's the perfect one, the all-knowing one. He understands all things. And when we submit to him, we submit with the confidence that we're doing the right thing. Where there was a time when the owner of the company very strongly ordered me to do something that was actually illegal. It wasn't a major huge thing, but it would have been illegal. And it wouldn't have jeopardized the lives of people. It wasn't something like that. And so I told him, I said, well, I hope I didn't hear you right, because I always said, if you wanted me to do something illegal, I would have to quit. And I like my job, and I'm good at my job, and I'd prefer to keep it for now. And so is that really what you want me to do? Because that's illegal. And he backed off, and we didn't do it. But what do you do if it is illegal? Well, you do the right thing. You don't do it. And I would have quit my job if, if it came to that. Praise the Lord in the church, I don't have that issue. But, uh, but God will never ask you to do something that's not for his glory and for your good. Even the painful stuff, like what Job went through, was for his good, long-term benefit. So... The first thing that I want you to see in this passage that James writes about is be humble before God. Be humble before God. 
verse 7, he says, submit to God. And in verse 10, he says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And you submit to him and you be humble before him. We need to remember his awesomeness and his holiness. A little earlier, we were singing, holy, holy, holy. Why does it say holy, holy? Why doesn't it just say holy is the Lord? Well, because it's quoting from Isaiah chapter 6. When Isaiah saw the seraphim, the angels, and they're worshiping the Lord and the angels are crying out, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And so it's written into that song. God is so holy that it's holy, holy, holy. It's like holy times three. And uh, when it says God is love, it doesn't say God is love, love, love. It just says God is love. When it says God is good, God is not good, good, good. No, but He's holy, holy, holy. It's because we can't express the holiness of God in human terms. We can't even think that way. We live in a world that has lots of corruption from the most powerful people in the world to the most lowly people in the world. There's corruption across the board, and sometimes it even creeps into our own hearts. And that's the world that we live in. We can't imagine the holiness of God. But trying to express it in a way humans could is that God is holy, holy, holy. He is so far above us. And we need to remember his awesomeness and his holiness and his wisdom and recognize your own struggle with sin. He is holy. We are not yet. I can tell you, I will be able to recognize when you get holy. I will. I'm a pastor. I've been doing this for all. I will be able to recognize when you get holy when I see you in heaven. Until then, you're going to struggle and so am I. In heaven, we'll be holy with him. But rejoice in his grace. Humble yourself before the Lord. Rejoice in his awesome grace that he gives to us. And, and I love the way he phrases it in verse uh, 8. He says, uh, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. And then lament and warn and weep. Look what he says in verse 8. He says, listen, when you have sinned, move toward God, not away from him. Sometimes when we sin, we want to hide it. You can't hide anything from God. He can see in the dark. He can see in the light. There's no difference to him. God sees everything, knows everything. He even sees the thoughts you're about to think. Before you even have had the thought, God already knows what's coming. So when you sin, move toward him. He is holy, but he is also loving. He is holy and he is just, but in his justice, he forgives those who believe on and trust in Jesus Christ. When you have sinned, move toward him. And then secondly, Resist temptations from Satan and from your own heart. Look in verse 7. After he says, submit to God, what does he say? Now, after he says, submit to God, what's the very next thing? 
Resist the devil. Resist him. Yes, we face a lot of temptations. And what our tendency is, if we've struggled with temptation, it's like, oh, I'll just give in and then it won't bother me so much. Well, that's not going to work very well. The more you give in, the more it's going to bother you. Resist temptation. You have a real enemy. In fact, I was teasing Mr. Weber in Trek the other night. I don't remember what it was he did, but he said, oh, I'm my own worst enemy. I said, no, you're not. Satan's your worst enemy. He said, well, some days I'm pretty close to number two. <laughs> yeah, uh, we, we struggle, right? But we have a real enemy, and he doesn't want to just mess with you a little bit. He wants to destroy you. That's his goal. That's his plan, to devour you. And so you have a real enemy. But we also, Satan does not have the power to make you give in to temptation. Look in chapter 1 and verse 14. Chapter 1 and verse 14. Where does temptation start? Chapter 1 and verse 14, he says, Each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Now, you recall reading in the Bible, maybe you don't recall, this will be new to you, but after Jesus fasted for 40 days, then Satan came and tempted him. And the way it's written in one of the Gospels, it makes it seem like he was tempting him a little bit every day. But then he had this full-blown, flat-out temptation before Jesus. And one of the temptations was Jesus had not eaten, had anything to eat or drink for 40 days. I realize some of you teenage boys think 40 minutes is a long fast. But Jesus went 40 days without eating or drinking. And Satan said, Command these stones to be made bread so you can eat. And you know what? Satan threw his best at Jesus. He gave the biggest temptations, the strongest thing he could get. This was a warfare. He was determined to win. And his temptation did not affect Jesus at all. And I know what some of you are thinking. Well, of course, Jesus was God. No, it's not just that. Because Jesus was fully man and fully God. But Jesus was completely in tune with the Father. And so Jesus did not give in to the temptation because Satan didn't have the power because in his heart, Jesus was submitted to God. He was resisting. So when Satan tried to tempt Jesus, we could call that epic fail. It made no difference to Jesus. He was fully connected with the Father. And when the Apostle Peter was writing, he said, God has given to us, in 2 Peter, 2 Peter 1, 3, God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. God has given you the capacity to do the right thing. And so when Satan tempts you, if you're fully connected to God in that moment, you're not going to give in at all. The problem is, we don't always walk as close to God as Jesus did when he was on the earth. But God has given us the power to resist. And he says in James uh, chapter 4 and verse uh, 7, resist the devil and he will flee. You can resist him enough, he'll just back off. He won't back off forever. He'll come back, but he'll back off. He'll know that he has lost that round. 
and he'll come to fight another day. God has given us the capacity for victory. You know, and it's not that hard of work. It's not like you got to go to college for eight or 12 years to get your MD. It's not like you've got to study music for 40 years to be a, a classical pianist. It's not like you got to work out really, really hard every day for year after year after year after year so that you might be one of the small percentage of kids growing up playing football who end up getting paid for it later in life. No, it's actually not that difficult physically or mentally to follow God. It's hard emotionally because our bodies want the easy road. It takes a little bit of discipline. Well, remember the counsel, though, from John. Uh, the Apostle John said in John 1, First uh, John chapter 2, he said this, uh, something like this anyway, don't sin, but if you do, remember that Jesus Christ, the righteous, is your defense attorney. And he is ready and willing to forgive your sins because he's already paid the penalty for your sins on the cross. And that's a poor paraphrase of what John said. Uh, but remember, you're, you're not going to be able to resist 100% of the time perfect. Yes, you have that capacity, but you also have a sin nature. You're not going to live perfectly, and God knows that. So he said, don't sin. But if you do, I'm willing to forgive if you repent. So resist temptations from Satan, from your own heart, from other people. A third thing is to grieve over your sinfulness. Grieve over your sinfulness. Look at verse 9. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. I was raised in an environment with uh, my great-grandpa on my dad's side was a pastor. Uh, he was my dad's mother's father. He was a pastor. And my mom's dad was a pastor. And so had pastors on both sides of the family. And... Uh, I was, but I was raised in an environment that even though we went to church all the time, there was still laughter about sin. Um, there were stories told of some of the wild and crazy things that uh, my parents and grandparents did uh, before they got saved or even after they got saved. And, and there was a, a, a humor about inappropriate things sometimes. And... Uh, we need to make sure that we look at sin the way God does. See, your sin hurts the heart of God. It, it, it'd be like a, a guy who uh, is told by his doctor, you have to quit smoking or you're going to die. And the doctor goes out and sees his patient smoking. The, the doctor knows what's coming, and there's nothing he can do to prevent it. Now, on a much grander scale, that's what God has to deal with. He knows what's coming, and your sin hurts his heart. He wants you to do the right thing. He wants what's best for you. And so when you start to do the wrong thing, uh, you can almost hear God in heaven say, No, because he knows what you're going to face. And, and think about this, too. 
every sin you ever did, and, and some of them you were kind of little and kind of innocent. The first time you threw a fit, you didn't realize you were rebelling. You learned that later and kept throwing fits, right? Uh, but, uh, but the first time, you didn't know. And so each sin you have ever done, each one caused incredible pain for Jesus Christ on the cross. God took him who knew no sin, made him to be sin for us. He put our judgment on Jesus for our sins. He suffered physically and emotionally and mentally and spiritually on the cross. And so when you're struggling with a, a sin, knock on wood, not for good luck. Knock on wood and picture the nails being pounded into Jesus on the cross for that sin. Every sin hurt Jesus, but your sin also hurts yourself. Your sin hurts yourself because you miss out on some of the blessings God wants for you. We were looking last week earlier in this chapter in verse 2, James 4, 2. He says, you have not because you ask not. There's things God wants to do. He wants to bless you, but you're hindering it because you're not walking with him. And nobody's going to do it perfectly. Only Jesus did that. But, but we need to work at it and, and try. You're going to miss out on blessings God wants you to receive. You're going to hinder your fellowship with the Holy Spirit. You're going to weaken your resistance next time. Every time you give in, it's easier to do it next time. And you're going to lose your awareness of spiritual warfare and your opportunities to witness for Christ. Let's just say that you have to go to a store. And before you go to that store, you sin. I don't know what it was, whether you looked at something you shouldn't, behaved some way you shouldn't, drove in a way you shouldn't. But now you're at the store, and you're going through the store, and there's somebody who needs a little help, and you just quickly help them and move on. Maybe if you'd been tuned to the Holy Spirit at that moment when you were helping that person, you would have known you could speak for Christ and they would have listened because you were helping. But the sin has distracted you. Your sin hurts yourself. There's blessings God wants to give you on earth and rewards in heaven that will hinder your sin. And your sin also hurts other people. Well, if I went around this room and I talked to each person in this room, every person in this room who really understood life could share some way in which somebody else's sin has hurt their life. And your sin hurts other people the same way their sin hurts you. And we also, uh, your, your sin help Satan. We talked about that last week, that you're helping the opposing team. We're at war and you're helping the enemy when you knowingly sin. So we work at it. We discipline ourselves. We submit to God and we grieve over our sin. And then when he gets to verse 11, he talks about how you treat one another. And basically, uh, I'm using the phrase, treat people with respect. Treat people with respect. What does he say? Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. 
but God is the lawgiver. Who are you to judge another? So treat people with respect. You know, if, if I went around the room and I asked you to share a moment in the last month where you blew it a little bit, you overreacted to something, or you said something you wished you hadn't said, or in a way you wished you hadn't said it. Everybody in this room could probably say they did that. But we need to show grace to people. See, sometimes we're very forgiving of ourselves because we know our motive, but we're hard on other people because we just look at their actions. So in the Gospel of John, in chapter 7, uh, James and his other brothers, uh, Jesus had four half-brothers. Jesus was not a son of Joseph. He was the son of God and Mary, the miraculous conception. Uh, but, uh, but Jesus was, I mean, John, James was a half-brother of Jesus. They had the same mother and a human father. And so James and his three other brothers, they were kind of harassing Jesus about going down to the temple, go down and show everybody that you're the Messiah. Just go ahead, go on down there, you know, kind of laughing about it. And then after Jesus rose from the dead, uh, the Bible doesn't record the incident, but James apparently met up with Jesus again. And James became a believer in Christ. We believe the book of James was written by the half-brother of Jesus, that he became a believer, he became a leader in the early church, the book of Acts records. And, and James was kind of a, they, they, some people think he took the place of James the apostle that Herod put to death. Now James, the half-brother of Christ, stepped into that role and serving. But don't you think that he remembered that time when he made fun of Jesus? And he wished he hadn't done that. So now he's giving counsel to everybody else. Don't go there. Don't do that. Every person you see is either a beloved child of God or a person so loved that Christ died on the cross for their sin. Every person you see fits into that category. God so loved the world. Each human being on the planet, even those in space or under the sea, each human being is special to God and he wants them to be treated accordingly. So you are not submitting to God when you are not showing respect to other people. That's one of the ways we show respect to God is to respect the people are created in the image of God. Now, some people are really nasty, awful, ugly people. And I don't mean ugly physically. I mean ugly in their character and behavior. But God wants you to respond to them with respect. And so you're not submitting to God when you don't show respect. But some people take what James says and you know, earlier when we were looking at uh, what James said about Abraham and what Paul said about Abraham, and people think there's like an argument between the two, some people think that's true here, uh, that James had a little bit of different understanding that Jesus himself had, uh, because he said, who are you to judge another? And so they cite this from Jesus in Matthew chapter five, chapter 7, look on the screen. We're going to have these words up here. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, 
verses 1 through 5, and you see where the color changes. I believe Jim said it's yellow. Uh, then you're going to join me and read that part, okay? He said, judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. Read with me. First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. See, Jesus didn't tell people to ignore, to pretend sin didn't exist. The Bible gives rules for handling church discipline, rules for parents to correct children, even rules for children, I'm sorry, for churches to correct uh, somebody, uh, a leader in the church who sinned publicly. Uh, there's rules for that. We cannot ignore sin, but we must use discernment and be careful when dealing with it. So your responsibility is to speak up for God's truth and speak his truth into our culture, into our world. So there are times when James says, don't judge somebody else. He's not contradicting Jesus who said, first deal with your own sin and then help your brother. See, it's, it's the manner in which you do it. It's the heart that you have for it. So James was giving counsel to help avoid problems in the churches. And James would have loved what, G, what uh, Paul wrote to the people in Colossae. Uh, and uh, we're going to have that up on the screen. And then there's two separate parts that are in yellow for you to read along. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. So like in, in the other teaching, Jesus was saying, if you're ready to give your offering, and then you remember somebody has a big problem with you that you haven't dealt with, don't give your offering. First, go deal with the person and then come back and give your offering. So we have a responsibility to show respect to people. And so what James is teaching in not being judgmental, not to never, to not be, he's not saying ignore sin. He's saying don't be judgmental. Don't be a critical person. Show grace. And there are times when you might need to speak up to somebody. And to show respect for that person when you have to speak up. I encourage people to say it something like this, that from my perspective, let's just say I'm watching Dawson and, and there's something that I need to correct in Dawson's life. I think I'm looking at maybe this. And so I would say to Dawson, hey, Dawson, from, from my perspective, from what I see, either you're, you're doing something the scripture says you shouldn't or you're doing something uh, you're not doing what the scripture says you should. So I, from my perspective, what I see, this seems wrong. Am I missing something? Now, I end with, am I missing something? Because you can't see hearts, can you? God can. You can't. 
Even doctors with all kinds of scopes and things they stick in you and run up your veins to look in your heart, they don't see the real heart. They see that physical pump in there. But the real heart is the seat of your mind and your will and your emotions. It's the spiritual core of you. So am I missing something? Because maybe I'm not seeing it accurately. And by asking it that way, you give them an opportunity to think about it, to respond. And some people, they're like, ah, you know, I never looked at it that way before. Or some people might get mad. But James is not saying never acknowledge sin, never deal with sin. But he's saying don't ever place yourself in the position of being the judge over other people. God's the judge. So you deal with it in a respectful way. You have a limited perspective. For one thing, you can't even see all that's going on in this room because all you see is maybe, and those of you with phenomenal peripheral vision, can see a little bit more than 180, and then you can't see anything going on behind you, which can be scary sometimes depending on who's sitting behind you. But don't gossip. Don't spread rumors. Don't talk about other people. Don't speak evil of one another, brethren. Humble yourself. Don't you set yourself up as an authority over others unless God's given you authority. Like Ben and Teresa need to be authorities over their kids. Why? Well, because Ben's bigger and tougher. No, because God pushed them in that authority position. And parents have responsibility, have authority over their kids. Bosses have authority over employees. Remember that you, have, you maybe haven't done that particular thing that you think somebody might be struggling with, but you have your own struggle with sin. You're not perfect. Remember what Jesus said to that group of people? He was without sin cast the first stone. How many stones were thrown? None. They all realized they weren't without their own sins. And if you have authority and need to deal with it and discipline somebody, then remember to make sure you correct them in love. Speaking the truth in love, the scripture says multiple times. So don't ever bully and manipulate people to get your way. Treat people with respect because that's what God wants you to do. We need to submit to God. Submit to him. And so he makes the rules. And we don't get to make the rules, we get to follow the rules. And so the first step in submitting to God is to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. In, in the Bible, the pattern in, set in Matthew and in Acts is uh, the second step then is following Him in baptism. And then, the, then you continue to learn and grow. And when you mess up, fess up. When you mess up, Fess up, confess your sin, ask him to forgive, and he will, because he's an awesome God. So James was trying to prevent problems in the believers' lives and in the, in the churches, in the assemblies. So you confess your sin, and God will forgive and cleanse from all unrighteousness, and then you get up and you try again. The best hitters in the history of Major League Baseball had a batting average over 400. You know what that means? 
Six out of ten times they got to the plate, they did not get a clean hit. So they failed more than they succeeded, and yet they have the all-time batting average, lifetime batting average record way above everybody else. You're not going to be perfect, but we can grow. So we show respect. We resist the devil. We grow and mature. We partner with other people. And you know what? It's really hard when you blow it. It's especially hard when you blow it in a way that hurts other people. But God can forgive that too. Because he is God. That's who he is. That's what he does. So I want you right now, just take a moment, think about relationships that you're in, people that you know, things going on in your life, your heart, and just talk to God and ask God to show you Is there something I need to change? Is there something I need to start doing, stop doing? Just you talk to God and listen to him. Just sit and think about God and talk to God and see what he might want us to do based on how his spirit is working and what his word says. Thank you for listening to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to know more about Victory, please visit our website at victoryarizona.org. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page or by emailing victory at victoryarizona.org. We'd love to help you accept and follow Jesus Christ.